0: Father, I pray for forgiveness, God, of my sins, unintentional, and those, God, where temptation desires to rule me. I ask for forgiveness. I need Christ. I need His righteousness, also His Spirit. To uphold me. And I ask God that you would make all of the meditations of my heart pleasing to you. And that because of that, the words that I speak would also be pleasing to you and helpful to your people. Anoint us in our time in joining our, our hearts in this activity that has Span countless generations of looking at your word and considering your law to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was getting ready for this week and uh, this message, one of the things that kind of kept coming back to me is that I think you and I, Most of us in in the human existence, we find some sense of comfort in things that are familiar and things that don't change. And if you just think about your life, you know, there, there there are certain things that you just count on. As you know, they're just there. And not only do they warm your heart when you engage them, but they bring back memories. And it might be something as simple as a food dish. And it's something that maybe you cook special times during the year, and it reminds you of years past or it might be some restaurant that you really enjoy and every time you go to that restaurant, you get the same thing because it's just, there's just a comfort there for you of the familiar. I love the mountains I've been going to the same little town in the mountains since I was six years old, and uh you know it it's always being updated, things are being taken down, new things put up, but the the mountains, they don't change. And so when we go there and we, we go down certain roads and we, we do certain attractions and we go to certain spots, like I remember being there with my dad or with my wife when we first got married or with my daughter holding her hand when she was one, looking at the same view. And there's a comfort there that you know, life's hard, life changes, seasons change and you grow and sometimes that's really exciting and sometimes it's really hard. There's a comfort for me in going there and just enjoying that but also remembering all the times that I've been there and it's, it's just there. And I have this in my mind that if the Lord allows the next year I'll come back, I'll see it again, it's not going to change. There's a comfort there. For us. If we are comforted by certain created things that have some sense of permanency to them and some sense of an unchanging character, and that somehow brings to us a natural joy and happiness, how how much more true should it be that the reality of an unchanging God should comfort our souls. That for our inner person, our, our hearts, our soul that will exist for all of eternity, that there is a God who never changes. No matter what happens around us, no, no matter the different seasons and times, no matter how it may seem at, at times to be unstable, and things are crumbling and shifting, that there is a constant, an unchanging God. That is one of the attributes that we're looking at in this series, It's the attribute we're talking about today, and it is one of the attributes, I think, that is so important for us to grasp. And it is one that is held up in many places in Scripture. I want to give you a couple. And if you want to turn there in your Bible or a Bible app, you can. We're going to start in Malachi chapter 3 in the Old Testament. We're going to start there. The prophet Malachi, this is the last prophet that we know of. The last biblical book that was penned for 400 years. God would be silent until the coming of Christ. Malachi is... Preaching and he is prophesying at a time where the people of Israel have returned to their land. They've rebuilt their temple, but there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of dangers. And you get to Malachi chapter 2 verse 17. You get this message from Malachi to the people that is not extremely encouraging. Malachi says, You have wearied the Lord. You have wore him out, in effect. And Malachi says, you're going to ask me, well, how, how have we wearied God? And Malachi says, you have wearied him by saying, well, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, I guess. He delights in them. In other words... In the midst of their trial and their difficulty and the problems they were going through, it was almost like they were mocking God. I guess God's okay with this. I guess He's fine with these evildoers. I guess they don't bother Him like they do us. And they criticized God. And they questioned Him. Where is the God of justice? In the midst of their instability, in the midst of their chaos, they doubted God. They doubted His goodness. They doubted His justice. And Malachi says, you've wearied God because of that. But jump ahead a little further and look in Malachi 3, verse 6. And here's God's hope to these people. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, children of Jacob, are not consumed. God gives them a theological truth and the benefit of it. The truth is, I don't change. And Israel, that's your hope. That is why in the midst of you questioning me and criticizing me, as you see trials and tribulations all around you, that is why I have not consumed you. That is why I have not disciplined you to the point of death because I don't change. Because I made a covenant with your fathers, and I'm faithful to that covenant, and therefore you live. And then in the very next verse, he says, return to me, and I will return to you. He calls them to repentance. It's an Old Testament view of the unchanging nature of God and how that brings hope to our souls. Let's look at another one, New Testament, James chapter 1. James chapter 1 in the New Testament. Very similar picture. When you get to James chapter 1, James is writing. He's also writing to a people under trial. Tribulation and difficulty. And he tells them in verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. He's telling the church, I know you're going through difficulties. I know you're going through persecution. You're going through problems. The favor of God is upon those of you who keep going in the midst of trials. And not just keep going as in I'm not going to give up in life, but keep going in your faithfulness and your trust to God. God has a special favor upon His people who are going through trials and they keep looking to Him. And they keep trusting Him. And they keep honoring Him. He says, blessed are you if you do that. In that way, it's actually good for us to go through some trials. Because when we go through some trials and we cling to God and we are faithful, it brings a special blessing into our life that we would not have had if we had not went through that trial faithfully. And that's essentially what James goes on to say. He says, look, when you're when you're going through difficulties, don't let anyone say I'm being tempted by God. When you get into the midst of a trial, when you get into the midst of a of a tribulation, a time of tribulation, and you're tempted to sin, and everything in you, you want to give up on God, you want to do the wrong thing, you want to lash out at other people, you want to walk away from holiness. Don't ever say this is God's fault. Don't ever even let that fault in your mind. If God had not put this on me then I would not be tempted. James says that's Never what God does. He doesn't tempt you. God is doing something good in your life through this trial. Believe that. Keep going. Be faithful in the midst of it. That's what he says in verse 16 and 17. Don't be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation and there is no shadow due to change. James says, look, in the midst of your trial, just remember God has not changed. He's been good to you in the past. He's being good to you right now. You may not see what you're going through as a, as a gift or a blessing, but God is doing something good in your life. He hasn't changed. Not even the slightest shifting Like a shadow, not the slightest variation is there in God. He hasn't changed. He is still good. He is still doing good things. And every gift He gives you is good. So hold on and be faithful. These are two places, Old Testament and New Testament, Malachi and James, where you see the people of God going through difficulties, and what is presented to them is God doesn't change. So hope in Him. God does not change, be encouraged. In Malachi, don't criticize, trust God. Repent of your sins. In James, don't give up. Don't criticize and say God is tempting you. Keep going, hold on to Him. He is good, He hasn't changed. The unchanging nature of God is meant to comfort us far more than any created thing ever could whatever that thing is that you would run to in your life when you're you just you're stressed and you're anxious and you feel like everything's closing in and, and you just need some comfort and you go to this thing or this place, it can bring you some sense of joy. But God, the unchanging nature of God in the midst of an unstable life, that is where our hope is supposed to be. That is what is to stir our heart and change us. And I think that's been a big theme this morning. It's like whatever it is that is pressing in on you and whatever it looks like that you want to give up, that you want to... It might be as simple as just saying, I'm just done, God. I'm done loving. I'm done forgiving. I'm done trying. Don't give up. There's a blessing that God gives in the midst of your trial. He is good. That doesn't change. Keep going. Trust Him. If you're a note-taker in your worship God, let's look at this life truth together. This reality of the unchanging nature of God is our source of stability in a world often marked by chaos. The reality of the unchanging nature of God is our source of stability in a world marked by chaos. The big picture for today is God is our rock. You stand on a rock. You want firm foundation, something firm under your feet, not shifting sand, not mud. You want something firm. God is the rock you stand on. In the midst of a storm, you want to get behind the rock, find shelter in it. Let let the rock be what protects you in the midst of difficulty. You cling to a rock. The wind is blowing. You want to hold on to it because you know it's not going anywhere. This is a safe structure. God is that for us. He is our rock. When I say that the unchanging nature of God is our source of stability in a world marked by chaos, that doesn't mean we always look to Him as our source of stability. It means He is. But sometimes, even as a believer, we look elsewhere. When life gets hard and things seem unstable and chaotic and we want peace we might tend to look somewhere else. And I I could sit here and I could name all of the false things that we might plant our feet on or hide behind or cling to, but just know any created thing, even a person, that you look to to try to be your source of stability will ultimately fail. If it's a person, honestly not only will they likely fail, but you're putting a burden on them they'll never be able to carry. They can't be your stability in everything. Only God can do that. If we don't see God as that that stability, that, that shelter, that rock to stand on, if we don't see Him like that, we will look to crumbling places to help us in chaos. And then we will be frustrated when it doesn't work out. We will fight and claw to try to keep things the same. We'll want people to stay exactly like they've always been. We'll want situations, relationships to stay just like they've always been. We'll want seasons to stay just like they've always been. We'll cling to them. We won't want to let go of them, even though time is passing for all of us. Because we're desperately looking for stability and we're looking at it in that source and the only true stability is God. And if we don't see Him as that, we'll find ourselves bitter when things change, when people change and circumstances change. God is the only true source of stability. When we say that God is unchanging, what do we mean by that? Three Three ways in your notes that I want you to think of God as unchanging. God is unchanging in His attributes. He is unchanging in His purposes. And He is unchanging in His Word. When we say that God is unchanging, it is in His attributes, in His purposes, and in His Word. And I want to give you a brief scripture for each one of those. When it comes to His attributes, I'll point you, there's many places in the Bible, but Psalm 102 Verses 27, that's when you're in your notes, but we can even back up to verse 26. What is unfolded there in Psalm 102 is the psalmist says, "...the foundation of the earth and the heavens themselves will eventually wear out, change, and perish." I want you to think about that for a moment. That mountain that I described to you earlier, the Smoky Mountains, is, has, has been there, Right? It's been there in in our minds. It's like, well, that's always going to be there. Generations from now, it'll always be there. One day it will perish. It will change. It will wear out. The stars in the heaven, all of it. One day, every created thing has an end of life. And the psalmist goes on to say, but not you, God. You are the same and your years never end. There's no ending to you. God does not change in any of His attributes. You can find it throughout Scripture. He is always merciful. He is always good. He is always loving. He is always just. He is the rock. Those things do not change. He is not getting better, and He's not getting worse. He cannot possibly get better than He is, And He will never diminish in any of His attributes. Remember the first sermon in this series, we talked about the supremacy of God and how God stands outside of time. Why do you and I change? Why does the world around us change? Because we live inside of time and time is passing. And we change because we're growing up and we're maturing and we're getting more information than we had before. And then we're aging and diminishing. None of those things apply to God. He's not within time. He's not learning new things. He's not maturing. He's not having experiences that He didn't have before that are shaping Him. He's not diminishing in any way. He is perfect, supreme. He's not going to be better because He is absolutely perfect in all of His attributes and He's not going to diminish so when we say God is unchanging in His person, God does not change. His mercy towards you, His justice, His goodness, His supremacy, none of it changes. His purposes are unchanging. Isaiah 14, 24 It's one of the places in the Bible this is spelled out for us. God says in Isaiah 14, 24, Surely as I have planned, so it will be, and as I have purposed, so it will happen. God is the only person, the only being (laughs) that can say that. As I have planned, so it will be. As I have purposed, so it will happen. I I told you a couple of weeks ago, the moment you and I make a plan, it's in jeopardy. It doesn't matter if you're planning for something 30 minutes from now or if you're planning something 10 years from now. The moment you plan something, those plans are in jeopardy. Not so with God. None of His plans are in jeopardy. None of His purposes. Nothing in all of the universe, on earth, or in heaven, no angel, no demon, nothing can thwart God's plans. When you look at the Bible and you see creation, you see Adam and Eve, you see the sin, you see the fall of man, you see wickedness on the earth, you see the flood, you see a renewed creation, you see the calling of Israel, you see the rebellion of Israel, you see the promised land and being scattered from the promised land, you see Jesus on the cross crucified. That was not plan A, B, C, D, E, F. That was not God saying, well, okay, I didn't see that coming. Okay, let me shift here what I'm doing. Let me, let me go a different way at this. Before he ever spoke a word that created light, that, that made the formless earth, that put water and land and creatures on it, before any of that had happened, he had already purposed to send Jesus to reign over the universe and to redeem people who would be with Him forever. It wasn't multiple different purposes and plans. It was what God was doing from the very beginning. In your own life, what God purposes for you, He will do. Can you create a lot of havoc in your life on the way to those things? Absolutely. But what God has purpose for you, it will be done. He will lead you there by your hand or He'll drag you there kicking and screaming, but you will arrive at His purposes. I love how Tim Keller used to talk about how, you know, one of, the, one of the cries of the hearts of men is, God, show me your will. And Tim Keller would say, the thing is, you're standing in the middle of it. It's a stream that's carrying you along. God will fulfill His purposes. Those things do not change. You question yourself in your life. Well, I think God once had a plan for me. I think He once had a purpose. I think He once wanted to do something. But then my sin and my mistakes and the things that I've done. He planned good works for you to walk in before you were ever born. And He knew every error you would make along the way. The purposes of God are not undone by anything in our lives. And God is unchanging in His Word. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not man that He should lie, or a son of man that He should change His mind. Does He speak and not act? Does He promise and not fulfill? The answers to those questions, of course, are no. When God speaks, He will act. When He promises, He will do it. Every one of us in here have had someone break their word to us. And every one of us in here have broken our word to somebody. When when you give your word or someone gives a word to you and, and it doesn't come to pass, there's a couple of reasons that may happen. One could just be they're lying. Or you're lying. You say something you really don't intend Sometimes you have really good intentions, but you're powerless to bring those intentions to pass. Those things don't apply to God. God does not lie. When God says He's going to do something, nothing's going to come along that He's going to be powerless to move out of the way to make sure that it happens. When God speaks, He does. When He fulfills, or when He promises, He fulfills. So we should believe in Him. Listen, when when we... When we take this Word and we read it, and we take this Word in, this is timeless. This is, this is eternity. This is the one thing that, that will always be true. When we learn this, we are learning something that has existed before the foundations of the earth and that will exist for all of eternity. Because God will fulfill His Word. It is true and it is timeless. Now, I want to take a side road for just a moment. It's not too much of a side road because it's connected. But there are some passages in the Bible that you may come to from time to time that challenge this notion just a bit of whether or not God does actually do what He says He will do and whether or not God truly never changes. Let me give you a couple of those. Two of them. One, Genesis six six. You might be familiar with this passage, but in Genesis six, 6 this is the time of increased corruption and evil on the earth right before the flood. And in Genesis 6, actually beginning in verse 5, it says the Lord saw the wickedness that was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of, of the hearts of men was only evil all the time. And in verse 6, it says the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. The Lord regretted that he had made man. One more place, keep that in mind, but then Jonah. In the book of Jonah, probably very, very familiar, but in Jonah chapter 3, Jonah, the prophet, is told, go to Nineveh. And of course, there's a whole story there, because he said no at first. Guess what? God's purposes were going to be done. Jonah went kicking and screaming. He gets to Nineveh, and God says, Tell them, in forty days I overthrow Nineveh. So, Jonah preaches that message. And the people respond in repentance. And in verse 10 of Jonah 3, it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do, and He did not do it. That word relent is the exact same word from Genesis 6.6, this translated regret. So what is happening here? Let me tell you what's not happening. If you and I regret something, here's what it means. I made a decision... I've since then gotten some new information, and I now regret the decision that I made. And if I had the chance and the opportunity to know then what I know now, I would make a completely different decision. That, by the way, is my description of every restaurant that I go into for the first time. I tell my wife I am horrible at choosing things on a menu. Sometimes I will just say, you pick for me. I always regret what I get. That is not what's happening here. Because God always knew how wicked men would get. Before He ever made them, He knew what would happen in Genesis 6.6. He knew there would be a day He would look on the earth and be so grieved at what He saw that He would say, I regret ever making them. He already knew that. Jonah 3 this is not a picture of God saying, I'm going to overthrow them, go tell them that. And then they repented, and God was like, oh, well, okay, well, wait a minute, I didn't see that coming. Let me rethink this. He always knew what He was going to do. He would respond to those people based on how they responded to Him. And those people responded in repentance, and so God responded with mercy in your notes at the same time that god is unchanging in his attributes in his purposes and in his word at the same time god may feel and respond differently to our obedience and our disobedience the fact that god is unchanging does not mean god is stoic it doesn't mean that god doesn't feel different ways at different times. The Bible says constantly, talks about how God feels joy over His people. God feels anger. God feels grief. How God feels toward what is happening on the earth can change depending on the obedience or disobedience of people. It also doesn't mean that God always responds the same way to people on the earth. In And you read the Bible, God says as the end gets closer, there's going to come a time where He's going to pour His Spirit out on the earth in a way that He hasn't before. And there will be more people seeing dreams and visions and prophecies. That is God acting in a different way in earth or on earth than He has in the past. So the fact that God is unchanging doesn't mean that there are not times where God feels differently or acts differently. He is unchanging in His attributes and His purposes and in His Word. In Genesis 6.6, 6, what is happening is God feels regret. He feels grief. But God has not changed. He knew that moment would come. And He knew He would show people mercy and goodness. In Jonah 3, God responds to the people's repentance Because they repented of sin, God gave them compassion. This was always within the scope of His purpose. I want to point that out to you because I want you to think of God as your rock in this unchanging being that you should cling to and hide behind in the midst of storms and i want you to see him as unchanging toward you in his attributes toward you no matter what you've done it's paralyzing for you to believe that god's goodness may run out that his love for you may change that when you're doing good he loves you more and when you're doing evil he loves you less that is completely untrue his love for you never changes his mercy towards you never ends His compassion is always there for you. His goodness is always yours. It would be paralyzing for you to believe otherwise. But it would be dangerous for you to assume that your actions have no consequence. You can grieve God. Even when His love for you never changes, you can grieve Him by what you do. And how you live in obedience or disobedience can invite into your life the discipline of God or the blessing of God. His goodness for you, His love for you never changes, but God responds to you in what you do. And you willfully disobey, that may invite His displeasure and His discipline. You strive to be faithful and to obey even when it is hard. You invite His favor and His blessing. So God is unchanging in His attributes, purposes, and word, but God may feel and respond differently to us in our obedience or our disobedience. In your notes, how important is this doctrine? Why does this matter? I'm going to take a page from Wayne Grudem for a moment in his systematic theology book, How important is this doctrine? Consider the implication if it were not true. Consider what it would mean if it were not true. Consider what it would look like to give your soul to an eternal God. To know that you will step into eternity and one day be with Him forever. But there was the possibility that one day God could turn evil. That one day He could decide to not be loving anymore and not be gracious anymore. Where is the hope in that? And is it not a terror-filled idea? Our souls, we entrust our souls, the Bible says, to God because He will never change toward us. What if you entrusted your soul to God knowing that one day there could be some force or being in the universe that would arise and overtake God? It's impossible. He is unchanging. This is a critically important doctrine for us. And when Mike read the, the passage this morning in your, in your notes, Deuteronomy chapter 32, it's how... God is described, and by the way, almost all of chapter 32 and those first four verses there as a song. And that song was written by God and given to Moses just a few verses earlier in Deuteronomy 31. God said, I'm going to give you a song, I want you to teach it to the people. It's a really long song too. But in verse 3, I will proclaim the name of the Lord and I will ascribe greatness to our God And in verse 4, why? Because He is the rock. His work is perfect. What He is doing in your life right now, what He is doing in my life, what He's doing in the life of this church, it is perfect. It's perfect. We may not always see that. It may seem like it's up and down. It may seem like it's difficult. It is perfect what He's doing. His work is perfect. All His ways are just. There's going to be times in your life where it's going to seem like God is being really unfair. The Bible says He's always just in what He's doing. Don't doubt that. Cling to Him. Say it to Him. God, this doesn't seem fair to me, but I trust You that You're always just. So I'm going to hold on to You. He is a God of faithfulness. He is without any iniquity. There's no charge of evil to bring against God. Just, true is He. Upright is He. He is the rock, and when you get to the New Testament, Jesus is described as the living rock or the living stone that has come from God. I want us to think about that for a moment. and Look to Jesus in Romans chapter 8. Verse 31, that's in your notes, and we're actually just filling in this Scripture passage. It's actually verse 32, Romans eight thirty-two. But what's happening as you get to this passage of Scripture is that Paul has been saying that the Spirit will always help us in our weaknesses. That the Spirit of God will intercede for us when we don't know what to pray for. That if you love God, all things will work together for your good everything in your life. Because He foreknew you, He predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son. And those He predestined, He called. And those He called, He justified. And those He justified, He glorified. And then Paul gets to the end of that and he asks a question. He says, what what are we supposed to say to all of these things? Like when you just realize everything God has done for us, what do we say for this? And Paul says, my conclusion is, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then this is the next verse. God did not even spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him, with Christ, give us everything? Here's Paul's argument. God has already given us the most valuable gift there is. So why would we think He would withhold any other gift that is of lesser value? His argument is that God has already done the hardest thing in your life. He has sent Christ to die for your sins. He has raised Him from the dead. He has conquered sin and Satan. And, and when you believe in Him, He transforms your life. He calls you to Himself, and when you respond, He he does a work in your heart to change you from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He's already done all of this. So much so that, that Paul says, He called you, He predestined you, He glorified you. In those senses, you have been saved, you are being saved You will be saved. He's done this hard work. And so if God has done the hardest thing in your life, will He not do all of these other things that are, quite honestly, so much easier? Is God going to take care of my finances? He sent Jesus. What if I lose my job? He sent Jesus. What if this person abandons me? He sent Jesus. What if this plan falls apart? He sent Jesus. If He's done that, will He not do everything? He is your rock. Trust Him. He gave you Jesus. That is your assurance that God is for you and will never leave you or abandon you. He is for your good, and He always will be. Look to Jesus. I want to do something for a moment. I want to ask the worship team to come up, but if I could, I want to ask everybody, would you just stay where you are for just a moment? I know sometimes we get to this point, it's the end, um, so we start kind of getting to our next position. But I want to, I want to ask the worship team to come up. But if, if everybody else, if you'll stay still for just a moment, And then you can move around. Wednesday morning in a place called Wilmore, Kentucky, about six hours from here, at a little private Christian school called Asbury University. On Wednesday morning, students there did what they did on most Wednesdays. They went to chapel, 10 a.m. chapel. When my wife went to Samford, it was required of them to go to chapel, to go to, she always called it convo. We really weren't walking with the Lord back then. So if you didn't go to chapel, you had to do community service at the end of your tenure at the school so you could graduate. We did a lot of community service at the end of that. These students went to chapel 10 a.m. Wednesday morning. Right now, that chapel is still going. When they got to the end of the chapel service, about 30 students stayed. They kept singing. They kept praying. Other students were walking by and they said, What's going on? Chapel's over. They went in. For over a hundred hours, there has been continuous worship in that chapel testimonies, confession of sin, the speaking of God's word right now as we talk, they are still worshiping and they have been non-stop since Wednesday morning. There are people driving from other states to go there. The dean of the college estimated at least a thousand people he had met that have come from different locations and states to go to this chapel where this worship is happening. I was texting with Chase Thompson last night, our former pastor, if you know Chase, this won't surprise you, he was contemplating buying a ticket to go, to fly to Kentucky to go to this service. That chapel had a message that morning, Romans 12, and it covered three things. Repentance of sin, confession of Jesus, and love each other. From Romans 12. Confess your sins. Repent of your sins. Confess your sins. Confess Jesus. And go love each other. And God chose six hours from here. To pour His Spirit out. I don't know how long that will go. But what is happening there is remarkable. Remarkable but God is not a respecter of persons. You can't dictate the Holy Spirit, but you can trust God will respond to what you do. He does not change, but He responds to His people. Church, if we have little affection for God, He'll give us maybe a little of His Spirit. If we're slightly intrigued by Him, maybe He'll give us a slight measure of His Spirit. If we're more enthralled by created things and the things of this world, maybe He'll keep His Spirit from us and give, us, give it to some little unknown community in Kentucky. But He's not a respecter of persons. He responds to us. I don't have any directions for you this morning except this. Repent of your sins, confess Jesus, and love each other. And yes, as a lifestyle, but I mean right now. There's going to be some prayer partners over to my left. If you want someone to pray for you, go and let them pray for you. If you want to go pray for them, you go pray for them. Repent of your sins, confess Jesus. Love each other. Get up in this room right now. Go to someone God lays on your heart. Love them. Show them care. Trust God. He responds to His people. He pours His Spirit out on His people that look to Him. Every Christian has to make the choice what do I want and if my answer is I want a lot of God I want a lot of his spirit I want a lot of his anointing I think he'll give it but here's what it will cost you cannot do things your way I can't do things my way it's got to be him And He's going to call us to some hard things. Especially when it comes to loving people. But He's done it first. Father, will You help us in this room to repent of our sins. To confess Jesus. And if it's for the very first time, God, thank You for salvation. And would You help us to love each other. And God, would You be willing to give us a taste of revival? that would make us hungry for more of it, so that we would pray for it and beg You for it. God, help us draw near to You, so You'll draw near to us. In Jesus' name, Amen.